Hello, everyone. Episode 20 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. Uh, as always, your hosts, myself, Chaz. I have Richard with me. What's up, Richard? Hey, guys. And, of course, Seth Saffron Olive, as you guys know him. How's it going, Seth? Good. How you guys doing? I'm doing so good. School's over. I'm done forever. Episode 20. This is kind of like a mini milestone for us, right? Yeah. 20, 20 long weeks. Feels like we just started, like, I guess 20 weeks ago, but... So we should all go by uh, from the vault twenties as commemorative. Uh, hey, yeah, before. actually, that's yeah. a that's a good that's a good idea. Yeah, episode uh, episode twenty, we get a from the vault twenty. Makes sense. All right, so on our docket for this podcast, we have GP Shanghai, Star City Games, Dallas, Fort Worth. There's Standard Modern Legacy. Uh, we're going to be doing trending, and we have a. Interesting legacy deck that we want to discuss with Richard, and we talked about this card, so Collected Company, and it's showing up in Legacy now, um, which is very interesting because all three of us talked about this card as a player in Standard, and it's been showing up in Standard a lot recently, in Modern, and it's been showing up there too, but now it's making a push into Legacy, so let me... Open the floor to you, Richard. What do you think about uh, BBD's collected company list? Now, it's just an IQ, so it's nothing like totally earth-shaking, but... Yeah, so let's let's go over the list quickly. So it's a four-color list. Uh, it runs a bunch of dual lands, two wastelands, so that's the important part. And the creature base is uh, four Deathrite Shamans, four Stoneforge Mystics, four Meddling Mages, three Spirited Labyrinths, three Tide Hollow Scholars, three Vendelian Clicks, two true name nemesis so that's the creature base and then it runs four thought seas four swords four collected companies and a batter skull and a gta so uh seth sent this to me and it's definitely spicy right collected company and legacy you know if it works that's that's crazy um but my initial reaction is i don't know what the point of this deck is um <laughs> it seems like death and taxes but worse like you lose the consistency of the mana base I think what you're trying to do is you collect a company uh, in response to a brainstorm or something and like slap down a spirit of the labyrinth, uh, labyrinth to live the dream. Or you can try to get a true name nemesis and a Stoneforge mystic so that uh, during your turn you can just equip the GTA and like go to town. Um, but like I said to you guys before, four mana is a lot in Legacy and you're running all dual lands so you're very susceptible to wasteland. So it's going to be very hard to hit that four mana to cast the spell and you can still get days, spell pierced, forced, or whatever. So it's a little weird, um, but it definitely, you know, it has Deathrite Shaman in the Stoneforge Mystic uh, in a true name Nemesis, so it can definitely take games. So I'd like to see, you know, maybe if the creator of this list, people who've played it a lot, uh, maybe they send us a fish mail or something, tell us how it works out. I'd, you know, definitely like to test it out. Seems very spicy. So, uh, you know, people are still innovating in Legacy, so that's good. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, Legacy is always, I mean, people are always going to be innovating in Legacy, right? I mean, we were just talking about this last podcast. Not that this is like an old deck, but you could dig up like a two-year-old Legacy deck and, you know, it'll be, you'll be fine, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just so diverse. But um, looking over the deck list, and I wanted to do this with you, Richard, you're our kind of go-to Legacy guy. Why are there so many creatures? Uh, because I confirmed this with Seth that you can't really 
respond by naming the cards as they're played. So just so everyone knows that. Uh, there's three Phyrexian Revokers in the sideboard and four Meddling Mage in the main board. Is this just to maybe stop combo, like, preemptively? What, why is there so many creatures devoted to naming, you know, shutting off cards like that? Yeah, pretty much, like, you're dead in the water to combo. So my guess is, turn two, you need to play Meddling Mage or Phyrexian Revoker not to die. Um, typically, creature-based decks, like, all of them are white to run Thalia. And in, in this case, this deck doesn't run Thalia because you don't want Collected Company costing five. But right. without Thalia to disrupt a combo, like, you're already dead to, like, a turn one combo on the draw. Um, but it, I guess with this deck is you hopefully turn one Thought sees them, and then turn two, you Meddling Mage, Tide Hollow Sculler, or Phyrexian Revoker to keep yourself alive. And then turn three, you could click, and then hopefully by turn four, you, you can do something. So my guess is all of this is anti-combo hate. Yeah, uh, so what would be, like, the biggest offenders uh, to try and name, like, with these cards? So you're basically establishing your creature base to try and shut off their combo for the first few turns. And, like, without, a, I guess, without meddling Mage uh, in Game 1 or a Tide Howl Skull to maybe strip a combo piece, it's it's pretty much over, right? Yeah, uh, pretty much. Right? <laughs> like, usually, <laughs> uh, you know, unless your opponent just, you know, has to maul the five and gets nothing. Uh, the good news is there, there's a good combo here. You know, you thought these, you see their hand, or you tied Hollow Skeller, you see their hand, now you can meddling mage something relevant. Um, but typically, you know, against Storm or something, um, you know, you'd name their big pieces, or against Omnitel, you would name, uh, Show and Tell, Omniscience, whatever, right? Like, these cards are really good against Omnitel because they don't have ways to interact with your creatures. Um, but, you know, against, against like a deck like Miracles or something, these cards, get significantly worse because they just remove your, you know, your creature and then just play whatever card you're blocking, which is why I don't like Tide Hollow Skuller that much. You know, uh, even though I play Black-White, I don't really play that many Tide Hollow Skullers because it's a tempo gain, and unless you finish the game quickly, that tempo, you know, gets reversed, and then, you know, you get nothing out of it. Right, um, yeah. But definitely a very interesting list. Um, the mana base seems very weird to me. Um, I, I don't know if it's, you know, if we needed to go four colors. Why not five colors at this point? Or, you know, what, what's wrong with three colors? Or just go one color, like Death and Taxes. So it, it's interesting to see what the design choices behind these were. And I'm sure all these cards are here for a very specific reason. So it'd be interesting to get some insight uh, into that. Yeah, certainly it could start crop, you know, popping up maybe on uh, Legacy Moto Dailies or something like that. Um, we haven't heard from you, Seth. So what did you initially think of the list when you saw it? Um, I know... You were kind of apprehensive at first to Collective Company, but seems like you're coming around. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely impressive that it showed up in Legacy. Even if this, even if it ends up not being good in Legacy, it's still, I mean, he won or split the finals of a tournament playing a deck built around Collective Company in Legacy. So that's pretty impressive. Basically, a lot of the stuff you guys said is what I was thinking. The meddling mages just seem like such a weird anti-synergy with Collected Company. I don't know. It's cool. It's really cool. I just don't know if it's good. I think, though, the good news is I have almost all these cards on Moto, so I'm really tempted to throw it together when I get some time and run a few matches, and maybe I'll have a better opinion uh, next week after I play it a bit. In terms of, like, a financial thing, is there anything to be gained from this? Like, should you automatically run out and grab stuff from this, or it's still just in 
I mean, for me, it's still just in like its inception. Obviously, I think if people were going to grind this kind of deck for Legacy, that a more optimal list is going to show up at some point. Uh, but it, you know, you could be hopeful. I'm, I'm sure in some of the deck building, some of these cards will return. You know, should people work on the deck list more? Yeah, no, I agree with you, and I think. <sighs> I think Collected Company is in a weird place. It's already pretty expensive, uh, especially non-foil copies. So I don't know if the wisdom of buying in on Collected Company right now, uh, but showing up in older formats is definitely a good vote of confidence for the long term with rotation and so on uh, moving forward. Yeah, we talked a, a little bit about uh, this off-cast. What do you think about foil copies? Well, I mean, foil copies are, what, around $20, $25 right now, last I yeah. Yeah. Um, it reminds me a little bit of Siege Rhino, which was a card that floated around the 15 to $20 foil price for a long time. And then it started seeing a lot of play in Modern. doesn't really see play in Legacy. But all of a sudden, people realized that foils were underpriced, and it shot up to close to $40 for a short period. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happened with Collected Company eventually. Whether it can maintain $40, I'm not sure. But I wouldn't be surprised to see a spike at some point. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the numbers right now, um, and maybe, you know, you'll have a better uh, handle on this, Seth, uh, in an article. Um, it seems like Collected Company is quickly rising. Uh, I mean, I looked at it on the Goldfish site. It's quickly rising in the ranks of uh, most played spells. It seems like there's a lot of innovation around the card. You know, I'm thinking you, you made the Siege Rhino comparison, I agree, it could be a little more ubiquitous, not that it is now, just because it's so splashable. I mean, Siege Rhino, while a, a great card, I'm not like knocking the card at all, it's three colors, so you're a little more restricted on what specifically can play Siege Rhino, but you're not as restricted on uh, Collected Company. And, you know, Siege Rhino maybe showed up, has it ever showed up in Legacy, Richard? Like maybe as like a one of somewhere? I don't think so, right? I, I don't know. It might maybe a Nick Vick deck, but I, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's a pretty good impression. <laughs> yeah. um, but even it just like rearing its head in, in legacy at all, uh, especially a pilot like BBD showing confidence in it. Uh, I think um, if it were to increase, I think it could stick. I think, I think one thing you mentioned uh, the fact that Siege Rhino has more restrictions but I think we got to remember, too, that Collected Company does have a pretty major restriction uh, in the right. converted mana cost of the creatures you can get. And in Legacy, that doesn't really matter because every creature you play is going to have three converted mana cost or less anyway. Yeah. Uh, but in Standard or even in Modern, like there are some cards that just doesn't hit. So you don't really want to be playing a lot of Siege Rhinos and stuff in a deck with Collected Company. So there is a restriction there. Yeah. Right, but yeah. I think just showing up here in a fair deck uh, is... a uh, huge vote of confidence for its legacy playability you know just the fact that it's remotely viable is good enough in my opinion because wizards will continue to make uh you know better two three drop creatures and this card is also a one card combo right if there's ever a case where there's a two creature combo with three converted mana costs or less this card is online immediately um so you know, from the unfair perspective, I think, you know, this card will eventually become relevant. And from the fair perspective, people are making it work, right? So it seems like it is legacy 
viral fringe, right? Um, it'll just take some time for people to figure it out. And, you know, as more creatures get printed, it'll get better and better. So, uh, you know, I, I don't see us going backwards and spells being overpowered and creatures getting worse. Creatures will just get better and better. So this card over time should get stronger and stronger. Yeah, those are some really great points, Richard. I wholeheartedly agree. That that makes it better, I think, in the financial aspect, comparing it to a card like Siege Rhino or even just looking at foil copies where, I mean, you just said it yourself, this is a, a type of card that gets better over time. And even just showing that it could be fringe and legacy is is a thing. I mean, it's it's a vote of confidence for the card. You know, it may not be domi- a dominant force like the Delver decks or something like that, but or Omnitel, but it worked. I mean, and BBD was the pilot, so, I mean, that, that's all good signs. You brought up good points. So continuing to talk about legacy, uh, let's just get into the tournament analysis part of the, the podcast. So we got uh, Shanghai and Dallas-Fort Worth. So let's just start with the like uh, the Star City Games legacy section. So... To break it down, and we'll have Richard comment, we have Grixis Delver, Reanimator, Ant, a lot of blue-white miracles, Omnitel, and... Uh, no. The first place was Storm. I yeah, think. Storm, right. Place. Okay, yeah, Storm, yeah. sorry. So Crafty Company did not yeah. show up here. <laughs> but, no, uh, no, it didn't, no. Same, I don't know, your, your same usual suspects. Uh, no, no death and taxes here. Um, we had a very, the, the top four were, uh, unfair heavy. Uh, we had Reanimator, Ant, uh, and also Storm. Um, I don't know which version of Storm this is. And then three Miracles. So tip, your typical looking top eight. Um, you know, like, like we mentioned earlier, Legacy is pretty stable outside of the odd fringe deck showing up, collecting company now and then. Um, miracles will always be good. You'll always have some kind of storm as long as Lion's Eye Diamond is sitting there. And, uh, you know, reanimators always, always going to catch people by surprise. Yeah. Now there is, there was a interesting deck that doesn't show up too much. So it was a countertop deck and it got 12th place. And what was interesting is, uh, the inclusion of Monastery Mentor. So did you want to touch upon that? Miracles is a countertop deck. Right. Um, so the, right. the, the difference okay. between this and a Miracles deck is, I don't know what they've cut. They've cut something to add three Monastery Mentors. Um, but it looks basically like a Miracles deck where they've just put some mon- Monastery Mentors in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the shell of Divining Top and Counterbalance is always strong. And you see Miracles players shifting around. Sometimes it turns into a Jeskai Stoneblade looking deck. Um, sometimes it leans more to the control deck. And then this guy has decided to use Monastery Mentor. But it's not that major of a departure from the deck. It's three cards that are different uh, from a typical Miracles deck. Yeah. So, yeah. So Shane, Shane Rommel was the pilot. And I think I found the card. I mean, he's not running in Treat the Angels, from Ooh. what I can see. Um, so that might be the omission that you're looking for. Yeah, I don't know if it takes them even longer to close games. Or, because it's usually, you know, the, the Miracles player has locked you down. You can't do anything, man. They're sitting there going through their deck for, like, 15 minutes trying to find their, like, Entreat the Angels. Um, so either he has a Monastery Mentor out already, and uh, he's beating you down, or you've removed his Mentor, and he has no win conditions. <laughs> he's trying to kill you with a Snapcaster Mage. Right. 
So, interesting deck. Um, Seth, why don't you move us into the modern IQ? Uh, yeah, let me ask Richard one thing real quick about Legacy. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Uh, Richard, I was wondering, we were talking about how decks kind of shift around with Miracles, with uh, sometimes Stoneforge showing up, now Monastery Mentor. What do you think about that in regards to Delver? I noticed like the flavor of this tournament was Grixis and some bug decks. When a few months ago it was blue red, straight blue red, or blue red white, like what's what's the benefits and downsides to these different combinations of Delver decks? So, it's it really depends on the metagame you're expecting, and the reason why you see these decks fading and out is what you expect other people to play. Uh, all these decks in Legacy have strong matchups and bad matchups. Um, so in this particular metagame, no one's playing Rug Delver. Right, Rug Delver is kind of like the mono red of Delver decks. You kind of just want to hit the ground running and then deny your opponent resources and kill them. And that was not very popular here. Um, we're seeing Grixis Delver, which is more of a... It's, it's like a burn deck. It's like a UR burn deck where the black is splashed in for some thought seizes. Um, so we're seeing that replace the other Delver. Why people here are doing that, I don't know. I know where uh, in Seattle, where I used to play a lot of Legacy, Bug Delver was more prominent, and that's a more controlly Delver uh, with cards like uh, Liliana, Thoughtseize, Hymnotorok. So what shifts the Delver metagame around? I, I don't know. It's really personal preference of these players. That makes sense. Yeah. I think it's just the flavor of what is going to be, like, what you expect. Like, because, I mean, you mentioned it, Richard, like, each... Grixis Delver has its own strength. Like, not, sorry, not Grixis Delvers. Each version of the Delver deck, uh, has its strength and weaknesses. So I guess if you're on that plan, uh, you basically choose to what you think is going to be showing up, uh, most often. I, I have to assume that people are taking Grixis Delver because of so much miracles showing up and Omnitel, because usually when I kind of see that top eight, there's usually a Grixis Delver in there somewhere. Yeah, well, also, um, the, the UR Delvers are typically the cheaper Delvers to build. Um, right. So that, that may be a factor. Uh, but, you know, it really depends, right? Like, Rug Delvers weak to Graveyard Hate. Um, you don't want to play Bug Delver if everyone's playing Dig Through Time because, you know, discarding cards from their hand doesn't really help you if they just, you know, feel their Dig Through Times. Um, so it, it's just going to vary um, from region to region. Um, the, the overall... The, the major shifts in the metagame were basically around the graveyard uh, and treasure crews. When treasure crews was popular, there was no discard because you didn't want to fuel graveyards. Once treasure crews was banned, we're kind of back to, you know, the regular metagame of how much graveyard hate is there out there and do I want to use the graveyard as a resource. All right, so moving on to the modern section, why don't you break it down for us, Seth? All right, so, so I was just looking over these lists and... A lot of it's pretty typical. We got a blue-red twin, affinity, couple affinities actually, merfolk, uh, Anafenza's collected company deck. But what really sticks out is the fifth place list is another collected company list, but this one's a little bit different. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't think it's a little bit different, Seth. I think it's a lot different. <laughs> Ryan Dubois is playing five-colored slivers with collected company and ether vial. Uh, going all the way up to Sliver Legion and Sliver Hive Lord on the top end, 
and a bunch of different like five color lands, Cavern of Soul, Reflecting Pool, Sliver Hive, to fuel this insane looking deck. And he actually made it to the top eight. Uh, this is it's insane. I haven't seen anything like this be successful in modern before. Yeah, me either, man. <laughs> this is actually really <laughs> interesting. interesting. There, there's actually a Slivers deck in Legacy as well. It's out of fashion now. Um, but it's, you know, Aether Vial lets you do crazy things. <laughs> so five-color Slivers with Aether Vial and Collected Company. Yeah, now note that there's only two Collected Company, but, of course, four Vial. Four Caverns, four Mutable, four Sliver Hive. So, yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> That's pretty pretty different. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, kudos to Brian Voice. To me, slivers hold a special place, like above dragons and above angels. Like, I want to play slivers deck. <laughs> it's like the thing you want to work, and it usually never does. So when it does work, you're like super stoked about it. Yeah. <laughs> the third place list is actually pretty interesting too. It's a Grixis control deck by Dan Jessup. And it's got some stuff that you don't typically see in a three-color control deck. It's got a main deck Videlkin Shackles, two copies, has a couple main deck Blood Moons, some Coligan's Commands, and then it's built around Tassiger and Snapcaster Mage, basically, to actually win the game. So that's a different take on control that hasn't really come up too often in Modern either. I, I mean, I guess the Blood Moon... I mean, Blood Moon's a blowout so for a lot of decks... So I'm assuming he was okay with it in his main deck that he could play around with it. He because when you very look, awkward. He only runs he only runs eight basics, but he has Coligan's command and Cryptic command. How do you cast those two with uh, yeah? I don't a blood moon out. Apparently, he found a way because uh, he got to third place. I mean, I guess once. If you were to play Blood Moon, I'm assuming you're only playing it after you know that you can't blow yourself out. Yeah. Um, the six islands for Videlkin Shackles seems good enough because, I mean, you don't really need more than six for that to really take anything of worth. Although, I mean, I guess a Tarmogoyf could get out of hand. Could I mean, you would need, a, like, a max power Goyf to get out of that. It's it's really weird to see Shackles. That card's really fallen out of favor. Like, it used yeah, to show up a lot, but now, like, it dies to Abrupt Decay, which is a huge deal. And it's also, yeah. like, not that great against Deceiver Exarch because they can flash it in and untap it and combo off the next turn anyway. So there's, like, some weird... I don't know. And, like, the magic number for Videlkin Shackles these days is going to have to be, like, four... Yeah. Because, I mean, you're playing against, like, Tazigur, Siege Rhinos, Goifs, and all that. And, I mean, sometimes, like, the game... I mean, the games usually go a decent uh, amount of turns, but... I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very slow these days in Modern. You're just, you're just gonna have to scry to the bottom with Serum Visions. <laughs> I guess so. It's a, it looks like uh, a greedy deck. and uh, It is, it is, and yeah. Maybe he just got greedy all you know all of his matches and got there or or maybe this deck actually has more synergy than we're giving it credit for we'd have to test the mana base and see how it plays out yeah uh the anafenza collected company list looks very solid it's been seeing a lot of play uh with the anafenza kins tree spirit combo with uh you use anafenza viseraseer and kitchen finks yeah Right? I think that's the combo. Or Malira. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, 
Oh, yeah. Wait a second, interesting guys. Interesting modern. Uh, yeah. 14th place deck. You got to go look at it just for me. Oh, no. They did it. <laughs> Restore balance. <laughs> Robert Garza. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, the border post. Yes. Did your, did your list have Greater Gargadon in there? It did. It didn't have Kitchen Finks or Geist of St. Traft. Uh, it was a more budget build than that. But Kitchen, Kitchen Finks is just not budget these days. <laughs> oh. that's, that's sad. But yeah, uh, that's exciting. I'm excited. I haven't seen anyone actually place in a tournament with this deck in a long time. I haven't seen this deck in, like, I think a year. Yeah. so Maybe longer. I mean, this has not been relevant for a long time. Now, I don't know if some random, you know, 12th, what did he place? 12th? 14th, I think. 14th. Uh, some 14th place uh, finish is going to be enough to push this. But, I mean, hey, if it starts becoming a thing, I mean, Restore Balance was not reprinted. Yeah, and it's pretty, I mean, it's fairly cheap. It's, a, I don't know, under 2 bucks a copy right now, so. Yeah. So it could be interesting down the down the road. Even Huntmaster has fallen off quite a bit. Yeah, yep, it is pretty cheap. I always like seeing Rockless, so the uh, deck piloted by Jason Blackmore is very interesting. Always good to see Thrag Tusk in Modern. Is Very typical Rockless, yeah. This is I'm a like, list I would play if uh, yeah, I played absolutely. Modern and I wanted to buy Goyce. <laughs> yeah. Like, if Goyce were somehow free, I would definitely slap this list together and play it, but I'm like, I don't know if I want to invest in Goyce. Yeah, Phyrexian Obliterator is always a very mean card. It doesn't show up that often, but when it does, it's it's brutal. All right, moving on to the standard section of the Star City games. We have Red Green Dragons, Abzan... Atarka Sly, Mardu Dragons, Green White Aggro, Esper Dragon Control, and Mono Red. So, I mean, this looks pretty typical. Uh, the Mardu Dragons list looks very interesting. Uh, playing Koagan the Storm's Fury, rather than the Dragon Lord version. Thunderbreak Region, of course. Soulfire Grandmaster making an appearance. Crackling Doom uh, as a four of. So... Yeah, uh, what, what do you think for this standard? Pretty typical? Yeah, it looks about right. I think uh, that Mardu Dragons list, I saw Brad Nelson playing that in the standard Super League last week, and that list looked really sweet. Crackling Doom is a really good card right now in standard, and it, it probably should be being played more, so I'm kind of excited to see that. Yeah, uh, Patrick Dickman played something very similar to this list in uh, GP Paris, so maybe it's starting to catch on. I know you mentioned this last cast, Seth. Uh, I'm starting to see a lot more Wingmate Rocks, too. And I know you touched on it last cast, but it definitely seems to be a trend now. Because it's usually, I mean, not in huge numbers, but it's starting to creep up in those abs analysts. As many as three, up to three, or even just a one of. So, I don't know. I'm uh, kind of, is that just because of the general decline in Esper Dragons? I, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure why now is the time for Wingmate Rock again. Um, I do know it's super cheap, $3.60 in paper, and it's actually almost $8 on Magic Online. So I don't know if this play keeps continuing and it survives rotation this fall, which it does. Maybe there's some uh, potential there financially. I think it's, I mean, it's really good against 
red decks. I mean, and red decks are all over the place right now, so I guess it just makes sense. And it kind of doesn't care too much about the Den Protector Death Mist Raptor combo. You just go right, over the top of that. Right, yeah, exactly. So it seems good against those kind of decks for sure. I mean, in, in the decks that it's in, so like in Avzan Aggro, it usually shows up in more numbers, like the three of, rather than in the control version. I mean, you're usually always going to trigger the raid, so, I mean, it's just value. I mean, not that, like, anyone hasn't seen Wing May Rock before, not to, like, argue its case, but, I mean, against the red decks, as long as the original survives, um, you know, you're getting that life back that you desperately need against red decks. Yeah, and, I mean, even if it doesn't survive, you still have a decent blocker left over so uh it's not the worst case even if it uh, does get killed right away right uh, a lot of other a lot of a card that's showing up more often now is uh well i guess not more often but since the abzan lists are like a, a general play in standard right now uh soren solem visitor uh, i think we talked about it's like kind of reaching all-time lows uh down a considerable amount from where it was Oh, maybe it's not all time. Uh, yeah, I think it is. It's under. It's nine forty six yeah. at the moment, which looks yeah. to be as low as it's been. Yeah. Yeah, I just had to check the graph, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's the lowest it's ever been down from like what fifteen up close to twenty. It was actually close to twenty five. Yeah, it was. It was really yeah. high when it first came out. Back in back in October, in paper, yeah, it was kind of flirting with thirty bucks. It's come down considerable amount. Yeah, and it's uh, um, it sees modern play too. So it, it seems like there's long term potential because it shows up in the Abzan list every now and then. Uh, it's like a two of in modern. So uh, unless it gets printed in one of the like Soren versus Ugin or something next year, it's not a horrible long term play anyway. Quickly going over the Grand Prix uh, Shanghai, a lot of red green dragons. That's all I have to say uh the first place deck list looks like an abzan mid-range aggro deathmiss raptor den protector more it's more mid-range slash control with crux of fate elspeth but i mean there it is again deathmiss raptor and den protector showing up again yeah so what do you think richard one of the things we talked about oh yeah, go ahead, Seth. I wanted to bounce this off, Richard. We talked about a few podcasts ago uh, the Mono Blue Dragons list that was playing, like, five colors, but basically mono blue, and we were wondering if other colors could do this. And if you look at uh, uh, Mahara's list, which came in 11th, and yeah. the 10th place list, that's basically what they're doing. It's another, like, five-color Dragons list, but this one is, like, black-green base, mostly almost mono black, really. Ooh. Didn't I say that? I th- I'm pretty sure I said that. And it's also <laughs> playing the Den Protector Death Mist Raptor. This is just like all the best cards of dra- Dragons of Tarkir put together into one deck. Yeah, I- I'm pretty sure I mentioned, like, couldn't a black-based five-color control deck work? And I guess we're looking at it. Yeah, I mean, Sylvan Carriage fixes your mana, right? <laughs> yeah. And then combined with all of the Dragon Lands, still no Crucible in this list. Interesting, <laughs> but uh, sorry, Seth. You know what's really <laughs> weird to me? Like, why is green in every single list in standard right now? Why? Why is green the dominant color? I, I get so we want good, creatures man. to be good, but I feel like the green creatures are too good now. 
you got Death Miss Raptor and Den Protector that could yeah. basically go into anything. So Carrotid, yeah, always yeah. good. Pelucranos. Green, Green's been getting too much love lately. We we need some blue back in here. <laughs> hey, it's only good in standard. Good God, let it be good in one one. <laughs> We've angered the Green Mage. <laughs> yeah, like damn man. Remember the days where we did nothing but we like think twice and forbidden alchemy and then killed you yes. the land. <laughs> that, that's real dude, magic, I, dude. I played during the Callblade days and it was awful. It was just really really awful. <laughs> Like, ah, oh, green can be good in one setting, all right? Let it at least be standard. God. Let it be limited. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even good and limited sometimes, so it's like, damn, man. I mean, I at least collected companies showing up uh, all the time in modern now, so more power to green, but uh, I think it's still pretty bad in legacy. <laughs> so It, it um, has goif. It does have goif, but it's a blue creature, a blue so. Creature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, is the best blue creature ever printed let's go over trending and then I think that wraps it up for the 20th episode of the podcast yeah we just wanted to look over the the events from this from the last time we uh, did the cast um, you know standards basically status quo but in modern there seems to be slivers and collected company and all kinds of crazy stuff going on um, so let's break down the movers and shakers. We'll, let's do it, Seth. Let's do it. Um, all right, go ahead, Jazz. You want to take it this week? Or you want me to? Sure. I got it. Uh, standard collected company. Uh, we're looking at the weekly changes. So collected company, Den Protector, Death Miss Raptor, Thoughtseize, Hornet Nest, Temple of Enlightenment, Mana Confluence, Bloodstained Mire, Fleece Main, Flooded Strand. And on the losers, we had Narset, Ojutai, Bramaz, uh, Dragonlord Atarka, sorry, Dragonlord Ojutai, uh, Sarkhan Unbroken, Dragonlord Silmgar, Ugin, Stormbreath Dragon, Ashiok, and Whisperwood Elemental. So, pretty basic stuff. I mean, cards that are doing well are going up, cards that aren't doing well are going down. I would uh, keep an eye on Bramaz. You know, uh, the better. The lower it ends up being, uh, come rotation, uh, the better target it is because, I mean, it's it it hits all the qualities of what you want in modern. It can be used in the collected company list. It's good in uh, those kind of tokeny type decks. So it could be, and it was in Born of the Gods, so it wasn't really opened all too much. So our spec, yeah. our spec criteria now is, does it work with collected company? <laughs> <laughs> That's it, man. You just roll with what's going, you know, you just roll with what's successful. Seriously, I think that list is, like, almost all the exact same cards as we read last week. Like, yeah. almost to a T. There might be, like, one or two different cards, but the same cards are increasing again for the second week. Same ones are dropping again. I mean, sometimes, I mean, it's it's just very obvious. I mean, what what's successful and what's not successful people are going to buy what's successful because they want to play it people are going to be selling what's not success uh not successful sorry because they want to get the money to buy like collected company or death miss raptors or dent protectors yep and narset's finally under 20 dollars. she's she's yep. been like the top loser for like the last <laughs> i don't know 12 weeks <laughs> so she's finally yeah. fallen under 20 dollars and like, Didn't we say like it could probably hit the high teens? Yeah, 
I mean, yeah. yeah. Remember when people were wondering if it was better than Jason Legacy, Richard? Uh huh. <laughs> that was a real conversation. Remember the sixty dollar <laughs> pre order price? <laughs> uh, how times have changed. Yeah. Uh, so on the modern side, we have Dark Confidant, Mo- uh, Goblin Guide, Bitter Blossom, Blood Moon, Cavern of Souls, Oriok Champion, Sword of Light and Shadow, Snapcaster Mage, Abrupt Decay, Tooth and Nail. And on the losers, Tarmogoyf, Dark Confidant, Ulamog, All is Dust, Tarmogoyf, Daybreak Coronet, Vidalian Click, Dark Confidant, uh, Fulminator Mage, Edge Champion. So I think the pre-order prices for the Modern Masters 2 singles are coming in. And I think it's kind of skewing some of these lists uh, because Star City has its pre-order prices up and they're not looking... Uh, much of a bargain at all. I mean, it's basically just taking the old uh, market value and slapping them on most of those cards. Yeah, and I think that's having an effect on you know the the secondary market that we're looking at here, where people initially listed their pre-order prices you know at a discount, and then as they see you know as demand starts rolling in and they're seeing Star City Games post the prices, they're saying, hey, wait a minute, I can charge more for my Dark Confidants, I can charge more for my Bitter Blossoms. And the prices for those cards have actually increased. So we're seeing the gap close between the MM2 and the original MMA uh, card prices. So the, actually, this might increase the, the cast time, but that's okay, because we're all here anyway. Do you think it's that specifically, or do you think that they just realized that, and they read Seth's article specifically, <laughs> that uh, box prices are just not that attractive? So they you know, rather just make up the value in the singles. I mean, that that would probably be Star City Games, right? Like, as an individual seller, I don't think you would sit there and try to price based on that, right? You're kind of just listing your price as other people are listing it. Well, I think, though, it does maybe play into demand because we mentioned this a little last week about people maybe canceling their orders or saying that they were because of the low EV. And a lot of those people said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm not going to buy and open a box Instead, I'm going to save that money and buy the Carnes that I need or buy the Dark Confidants I need and put my box money into singles. So maybe there's more demand for these singles than anticipated because people are using their what the money they had planned for a box to buy singles instead. Yeah. Yep. Now, none of the product has actually been opened, and the GPs uh, really haven't gone underway yet. So I would just stay away from this stuff regardless because um, I think – most vendors are just trying to recoup the losses because, I mean, like you both said, um, there's a lot of people not cracking boxes. You know, once that time period hits, and I've been seeing them move on eBay pretty steadily in the, uh, you know, MSRP range. So once, I mean, once all those boxes start getting cracked, uh, especially at those GPs, I think we're going to be looking at a different landscape. Yeah, I wouldn't want to buy cards before the GP weekend. Uh, that that sounds no. crazy to me. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I <laughs> uh, mean, I, I know, like, Star City sold out at 160 Tarmogoyfs, but, I mean, in reality, you could have been getting those anyway right now. So just doesn't seem like a good idea. Are, are there any modern events, um, like GPs or uh, anything big, like, directly after the uh, Modern Masters release? Yeah, so we had to look that up, but uh, it looks like there are some modern events coming up right after the GP, right? 
Yeah, so there's three uh, modern GPs in the month of June. So yeah. people may be picking these cards up to, to practice and to get ready for uh, the modern GPs. Yeah. So uh, in terms of pricing, Seth, and, and just on the, uh, you know, just, just touching on the the movers, it looks like a lot of the stuff that hasn't been reprinted is starting to gain traction. Um, and, you know, I mentioned this, that it, sometimes it takes time on some cards and sometimes it's very abrupt, not to, you know, no pun intended since abrupt decay is on there. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's what we're starting to see right now. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that, I, and these aren't like Ink Moth Nexus type spikes where the cards are just doubling in price, but all those cards that haven't been reprinted, um, Blood Moon, Goblin Guide, uh, Oriok Champion, Cavern of Souls, they're all creeping up 3 4% this week. Goblin Guide's up 12 So they are definitely heading in that direction and probably will continue to head that direction over the summer with the, uh, the PTQ season and these uh, Grand Prix coming up. Yeah, I think one to, to watch, a couple, a couple cards to watch are, uh, well, I mean, Abrupt Decay now is starting to take off. I mean, me and you get asked this a lot on Twitter, uh, Seth, so... We see Snapcaster Mage up there a lot, and I really don't see this card slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, I think it's it's probably bound to end up about where Dark Confidant used to be, uh, $80 in that range somewhere, maybe even a little above that. Yeah, like the 70, low 70s to 80, maybe even above. So, I mean, I was asked this, I mean, people are asking me if they should buy Snapcaster Mage, and... I mean, as lo- like forty dollars is not cheap, you know, for average players, or even to you know purchase them for a financial reason. But I mean, I I have to say yes almost because if you're going to use them, they're not going any lower, and if you're planning on holding them for them to go up, I think you should be good. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the thing is, it will get reprinted eventually. It might not be till the next Modern Masters, but there, there's no way they're going to let Snapcaster Mage stay at $80 for the long term. Right. But if you want to buy them to play with, this is a great time to do it, because mod- the next Modern Masters is probably two years away, so you do have, just be aware of that in the future, that there will be an end date to this huge price. Uh, yeah. Because it'll be a rare, most likely. Yeah. So that hurts a lot more than something like Darth Confidant, which showed up at Mythic. So, right. So, but if you want to buy them to play with, definitely get them now. Uh, they have no place to go but up. I don't know about specking. Like, if you're buying it at 55 and they go up to 70 like, with fees and shipping, like, how much profit is that really? Uh, I mean, you're still probably making, like, 10-plus dollars on each one. But that's – I mean, it's good – but you're paying 40 to make 10 on each, which is kind of a big uh, initial capital. Yeah, so by the percent that you're making, it's not that great, but it's still, I mean, money in your pocket. If you have, uh, we talk about it sometimes, the opportunity cost. Like, is, yeah, is that the yeah. best place to put that $50? 
I think it's a fine place to put that $50, and it's probably the best place if you're going to be playing with them, but just as a spec, I'm kind of on the fence. Yeah. Um, there are probably a lot of other uh, just as attractive targets, but, I mean, at this point, I mean, if you can get them lower than 50 like the closer to 40 that you can, if it goes into the 70-plus range, that's a very solid return. Yeah, if you can get them for the low 40s, that's that's definitely not bad. But if you're paying full retail at like 55 or at 56, yeah, then yeah. I'm a little more skeptical. Yeah, the the closer, I mean, the chances of getting them close to 40 are, you know, drying up fast. So, yeah. Um, Dark Goblin Guide, I think, is about to take off. Uh, it already is taking off, so... I think it could be in the $30 range. Maybe. I don't know. I and I don't even know if it sticks, but, I mean, there's all this kind of rumbling that it could be in Battle of Zendikar or something like that, but, I mean, that's still, that's in October. Yeah, and I... I mean, there's a long time between now and then. I don't think Goblin Guide can get reprinted in the standard. I don't think that's... No, I don't think so either. So, I mean, you're really, between now and then... And this is even just assuming that it's in there. So even if we assume that it's in there, that's October. There's a whole modern season coming out uh, this summer. And other than Battle of Zendikar, there's really no place for it to go. So if it's not in there, I mean, it's open season. And with the PTQ season, if you're just getting into modern and you really want to play these PTQs, what deck are you going to buy? Like, what's your cheapest option? Like, I would guess a lot of those players, it's not only the cheapest, but it's the easiest. They're just going to jump out yeah. the Goblin Guide burn deck, go play their PTQs, and that could drive up the price alone just because of that demand. Yeah, Goblin... I mean, the two cheapest decks are basically burn and uh, infect. So... Yeah? Yeah, another one that... uh, And I don't, you know... Not to, like, drive market frenzies, not to... uh. I don't really like making calls like this, but um, Oboro Palace in the Clouds. I see that show up in Tron list, and it's only a one of. But I mean, I still I've been seeing it steadily increase, and it, all those Kamigawa lands didn't get a reprint. Yeah, that's so. It's interesting. What is the reason for that, Richard? You played Mono, you uh, Blue Tron. Yeah, yeah. Some, someone kindly pointed out to me the, the reason for it is to get double blue. Um, so you, you tap it, you return it, you play it, and you tap it again. Um, uh-huh, cause because you have, you have a lot of mana. colorless mana. Ah, Interesting, yeah. I originally thought sense. it was like you preemptively try to avoid tech edge, but that's not the reason. It's, <laughs> it's, for, uh, it's for the double blue. Yeah, yeah. so those, those Kamigawa lands... Um, that they all didn't get a reprint, actually. Not a single one of them. Uh, so that includes, like, Biseju, Oboro, Minamo. Uh, and I think those are the really only relevant ones. What do you know? They're blue. So, uh. <laughs> um, But, yeah, I think that uh, that about does it for the... Uh, any, any kind of final anecdotes on those, Richard? I got nothing for you. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, Seth, did any kind of like parting thoughts on those? Uh, I hope they don't reprint them just because I cannot say the names of any of them. Make myself, I, there, I had one in my deck in my last budget video I did, and I butchered it for the whole four videos. So That's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so hopefully the price is safe just so they won't embarrass me by making me say their names. 
All right. Well, I'm sure they'll keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> yes, listen. Thank you, wizard. <laughs> All right. So I think that about covers it. We nailed everything. Um, and, yeah, I think that about does it for episode 20. Any kind of final thoughts on anything that we covered or anything in general? Um, no, we're we're going to be – we're right now we're about one and a half weeks away, um, probably one week away while you're listening to this podcast from GP Vegas. So yeah, we'll see how it all shakes down if Modern gotta, 2015 is a success or a failure. Yeah, you got to keep us updated while you're there, Richard. Yeah, guys, uh, well, I'll I take want, a picture I, of my foil goif that I opened and I'll post <laughs> yeah. it for sale directly on my Twitter feed. Yeah, more like your foil star or comet storm. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, at least it's shiny. I could uh, yeah. a proxy or something out of it. Oh man, I would feel my my heart would bleed for you, man. That'd be awful. The, actually, you know what? I think I'd rather open up a regular one than a foil one because a foil one would just be like a total kick in the nuts. I think. <laughs> like, hey, you got a foil, but it was the really really awful mythic. <laughs> so there you go. All right, so that about wraps it up for episode twenty. Thanks, everyone, for joining us, and we will see you next time.